The following program is sponsored by Friends of Life Outreach International. Next on Life Today, Bible teacher Beth Moore explains how Christians bear the mark of God. This was idolatry that God considered adultery. Anybody getting that with me? To God, idolatry is adultery because he considers that you are betraying and I am betraying. We do not have fidelity toward our one and only that we've been called to. Today, I'm James Robinson. Betty and I are presenting the Wednesdays in the Word program. Beth Moore is teaching on the mark of God. I'm anxious to hear what she has to say. And I do want to remind all of you, if you're not going to the stream, not now, but the stream daily, go there. You're going to get voices of wisdom from great diversity where there's holy friction and where we're pointing to the ultimate goal of foundational truth and principles that transform hearts and minds and give us individually, collectively, and nationally a secure future and a great hope. We've been left here as witnesses for Christ to make a kingdom imprint and a kingdom impact. That's what we're going to do together. And Beth Moore helps, and Wednesdays in the Word helps. Would you welcome Beth Moore? Here she is, the mark of God. Turning to Galatians 6 together, Galatians chapter 6, to the closing portion of Paul's letter to the Galatians. I love the Apostle Paul so much. To me, he is sort of the New Testament David of the Old Testament. In other words, he's the one that has all that passion that you could imagine perhaps and in um, given that situation might have danced down the streets of Jerusalem. He was the one that had this just effervescent, uh, truly not only spiritual love um, for the Lord Jesus Christ, but emotional love. I mean, it was wet and it was a fervent and it was lively. Um, I love his letters and something that I find remarkable is that over and over again, if you're ever memorizing out of the letters of Paul and you're stumped on what word comes next, just try saying Christ Jesus. Because let me tell you, every three or four words it seems, and I'll just be, I'll, I'll, I'll just not exaggerate. Listen, every couple of verses He's got to throw it back in there. Sometimes verse by verse, sometimes it will be in the same verse. It's remarkable. He loves the name of Jesus. And I want you to hear what he says here as he concludes uh, this powerful letter to the Galatians about their freedom. It says in verse 14, so I'm in Galatians 6. I want to read verses 14 through 18. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Is that powerful or what? For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. <clears throat> you know what? I wish that we could write that sentence over and over and over again with our own blanks. 
Uh, because to him, the big issue he had here with the Galatians was whether or not some of them were to take on uh, the marks of circumcision as a way as believers in Christ, those who had a Gentile background, would they need to be put under the law in order to receive the grace of Jesus Christ given to them through the cross. So this was the big issue, circumcision versus non-circumcision or uncircumcision. But wouldn't it be interesting if we went back to verse 15, <clears throat> for neither black counts nor white counts, but a new creation. Anybody else? But it's not woman or man, it's a new creation. It's not Baptist or Lutheran, but a new creation. It's not long-term believer or, or short-term believer, it's new creation. This is what matters. This is what it all comes down to. New creation, boasting in the cross of Christ alone. Verse 16, and as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Verse 17, listen, he is not one to mince words. When Paul has something to say, if he's under the inspiration, he has boldness to say it. 17, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. You know what he's saying right there? Get off me. Because you know what? I bear the marks of Jesus. I bear the marks of Jesus. Listen, here's what we're going to do. We have a wild wild lesson and series in front of us. So, I mean, this is going to be, uh, listen, I, for feelers, yes, but also I need your thinker part um, of, your, um, of your psyche to just come out in you because what we're going to do, um, we're going to draw a concept. So we're going to take a rope and we're going to lasso the thing, try to look at it with an overview of the scriptures and then pull it back down into these passages where we can see it. And so our, our word for our presence series is what it means to be marked by Jesus Christ, to bear the marks of Jesus Christ. As you and I are going to find out, um, of course, the Apostle Paul is talking physical scars, and we'll get to that later in our series. But there are all sorts of ways we get marked by Jesus Christ, and that's what we're talking about. So here's where I need you to go with me. If you would, please, I want to do just a little bit of an overview of where the mark begins. Anything that was called marking, uh, when someone bore a mark of some kind, what was the Old Testament history to that? So would you go with me there just a moment because I, I find it fascinating. The very first time we see the concept of somebody being marked in some way is all the way back in Genesis in chapter 4. Turn with me there. Genesis 4. We're doing something really, really unfair uh, to the text in that we are jumping in in the middle of a narrative without being able to go into it explaining it. But you know what? Even a lot of people that have no background in the scriptures know the story of Cain and Abel and how Cain has killed his brother and how his blood is crying out from the ground, as it says in verse 10 of Genesis chapter 4. But remember, we're looking specifically for one concept. Somebody bring it back to me. What is it we're looking for? We're, we're looking for marks. When someone 
gets marked. So I want you to see in verse 14, it says that, you know, God, of course, um, gives uh, the um, repercussions of Cain's actions through punishment to him. And Cain responds to him, you have given me a punishment that is greater than I can bear. 14, behold, you have driven me today from the away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And then the Lord said to him, so, so interesting, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. We have no idea what it looked like. No idea. But listen, it would have been obvious enough to where if somebody had seen him, they could have noticed it and somehow would have been repelled by it and frightened to deal with him. We have no idea what the mark was, but you're looking at the very first place as you and I are trying to study in this present series the concept of being marked. There are a couple of reasons why people were marked in the scriptures, and we see the very first one is protection. It's protection. This was a mark of protection. I want you to see it again. Would you be willing to turn with me now, flip with me deep into your Old Testament to the book of Ezekiel and go with me to Ezekiel chapter 9. We're studying marks, the history in the scriptures, and what they were used for. Tell me again why Cain was given a mark. It was for his what? for his protection. We're going to see that a mark would do a couple of different things in the scriptures. And the first one we see, and we see it a number of times, that it is used for, for protection. Ezekiel 9, 3 and 4. Now, Ezekiel has been called by God to be a prophet at a time of tremendous um, rebellion in the nation of Israel. Listen, basically, let me boil it down to the simplest uh, factor. And um, uh, this is not doing it justice, but just hear me out here. There were a lot of things that the people of God could get away with. But, um, and, and yes, they would have had uh, consequences to their sins. They would have needed to have repented. Um, there were the um, sacrificial lambs. There was the day of atonement. There were all manner of ways that they um, sought repentance. But God told them over and over, listen, you don't want to have to deal with me on this. You follow other gods and this is not going to go well for you. I mean, this was like, this was idolatry that God considered adultery. Anybody getting that with me? To God, idolatry is adultery because he considers that you are betraying and I am betraying. We do not have fidelity toward our one and only that we've been called to. Well, of course, I mean, they did it over and over and over again. And they are in a huge mess here and uh, they will be taken. He's going to be um, prophesying when they are taken captive by the Babylonians. Now, this is interesting because when all of this comes down, God then begins to give prophecy to Ezekiel about their future restoration. Our God is so good and our God is so faithful. But watch what happens here in this prophecy. Ezekiel chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. Now, the glory of the God of Israel had gone 
gone up from the cherub on which it rested to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed in linen, this is in this vision, who had a writing case at his waist. So in this vision, they're at the temple. Um, he sees the cherub um, on, um, resting on the threshold of the house. He calls to the man clothed in linen. So there's this man in the vision clothed in linen who has a riding case at his waist. So there would have been a, perhaps a belt around it and then there would have just been um, a little cylinder here that would have had a pin in it. Um, so it would have been there uh, for a ready riding. So this is the man that he sees. Now watch this, watch this, watch this. Verse four, and the Lord said to him, pass through the city, through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. And then he's going to tell him, you know, then strike the city, strike the city. But you will put a mark on every single one of them that are repentant, every single one of them that groan over the sinful state that this nation is in, okay? So it's very, very interesting because this mark is serving as a Passover of sorts. Anybody getting that with me? Um, remember back in um, the book of Exodus, in Exodus um, chapters 12, 13, and 14, telling the Passover story and when the children of Israel were released from Egypt um, to head to the Red Sea. Then they were to put blood, the blood of this lamb uh, that they would have um, killed, put the blood on the doorpost. And when the angel of death went over them, it would pass by those houses because they bore the mark on the door. Well, this mark on their foreheads, where was it? Tell me, you tell me. On their foreheads, this mark on their foreheads, this man in linen. So in this vision, here's what he's doing. Got his pen out. Boom, 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 boom. Mark all over the ones that had groaned in, in repentance, in sadness, in grief over the state that the nation was in. Now, in the, right here, there's a different word that is used in Genesis chapter 4 for the mark that was on Cain. But this mark is so fascinating because the word that is translated marked right here, put a mark in verse 4. Put a mark. Everybody say, put a mark. It is the last letter, you know, the Hebrew alphabet is in consonants, and it's the last letter, the last consonant in the Hebrew alphabet. Um, in our transliteration, we would spell it T-A-W, T-A-W. Um, so if you saw that in Hebrew, if you saw it in, a, in the, an English transliteration of the Hebrew, you would see the words T-A-W, but we would say it Tav. Everybody say it with a V, Tav. Say it again, Tav, Tav. So a Tav is made in most ancient scripts as an X. So a moment ago, I didn't mean to give that away so quickly, but when I said he marked all of them, could you see that I was making an X? Because that mark, for whatever reason, because it's the way God purposed it to be so in this prophecy and in this vision, they were getting marked with an X right on their forehead. That, arc, that mark was the Tav, that final letter he was speaking over them, and they would have an X on their forehead, and then it was to pass over them. Does that make sense to everybody? So how 
fascinating is that, that it happens to be an X. Now keep that in mind, and I want you to see this because I don't want to leave you um, without the hope of what's going to happen next. I want you to see a couple of passages. Ezekiel 10, 1 and 2. Ezekiel 10, 1 and 2. Then I looked and behold, this is still Ezekiel talking, still seeing this vision given to him by God in this prophecy. On the expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, there appeared above them something like a sapphire, in appearance like a throne. And he said to the men clothed in linen, go in among the whirling wheels underneath the cherubim, fill your hands with burning coals from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. Scatter them over the city. Now these coals, coals from the altar um, have a lot of significance in the word of God. They do in the tabernacle and in the temple and they do in that which they were patterned after in the reality of the heavenlies. If you remember anything, if you know about um, the call of Isaiah when um, the, the cherub um, literally, um, when they saw them, God high and lifted up and all the angels around him crying, holy, holy, holy. And he says, woe to me for I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. They took a, a tongue and got coals from the altar and touched his lips to purify him. This is a picture of hope because he's filling his hands with the burning coals and he's scattering them across the city. So not only is this prophesying that there is the fire to come, this is prophesying that this place has been scattered with intercession and it will be taken back. Restoration will be coming, that there is a plan of God and you see it in Ezekiel 11, 17 through 20. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered. So he says, you'll be scattered, but he gives them the promise, you will be regathered and I will give you the land of Israel verse 18, and when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. Verse 19, so gorgeous. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. You see, um, judgment had to come. But in the words of James in his letter, mercy triumphs over judgment. God bless you, Beth. You are, you are such an incredible gift and we want to thank you. And you know, as you're talking about what God does to put his mark, his, his imprint, the weight of his glory that changes us from glory to glory, the impact and impression he makes. That's, Betty, that's the impact and the imprint that we as Christians, as the body of that's Christ, true. we're supposed to leave on that's planet true. earth. And I really pray with all my heart that you'll understand that that's really why we're here. Betty, we uh, had the privilege of seeing several of our grandchildren go to the mission field. Chris Turner, our youngest uh, daughter's son, first child, uh, graduated from Baylor and basically went to the mission field. And with Peter Pretorius, Peter who founded all the mission work in Africa that we have 
than undergirding and helping him expand and win people to Christ and save lives. Peter took uh, Chris into a situation. Now here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen to what Peter was saying to our grandson, but to all of us. And then I just want you to ask, okay, God, I'm watching this. Where do I fit in? You watch, you hear, you respond. You'll change somebody's life. You may save somebody's life, maybe even several, many. Watch. People come in from the rural areas. They bring their kids here when their kids are really severely malnourished. Unfortunately, they often bring them very late. But there is help here, and we do save a lot of lives. Unfortunately, we lose some too, because they do bring them in late. And then the other thing is the mothers come here, and the mothers don't have any food. Yeah, so these clinics are vitally important in the saving of kids' lives. I mean, we have saved literally thousands of lives working in these malnutrition clinics. And I'm going to show you a little uh, boy here at the moment who's got a very bad disease that comes directly from malnutrition. Look at his little stomach. His arms are swollen. And yet look how thin his little neck is and look at his ribs sticking out. That's a condition called Kwasioka. I mean, that's why he's here. But to be honest, he needs prayer. Because to me, a child like this has maybe 10% chance of making it. I mean, that's the actual, that's the tragedy. If we could have had him here earlier, or better than that, if we could have fed him in his village, we could have saved him from coming here. And you know what the big thing is? You can make the difference for others that they don't have to come here. You can make the difference that we can reach them in the village before they ever get here. That's what we really would like to achieve. And that's what mission feeding does. It reaches children before they get to this advanced stage. So please, today, don't leave it. Today, it's vital today, not tomorrow, today. Please do something, do something right now. Well, we have tremendous emotional response to what we see because Peter's talking to our, our grandson, our youngest daughter's grandson, our daughter that, as you know, is, is with the Lord because uh, uh, we, we lost her uh, nearly three years ago now. And he's telling Chris, after just graduating from Baylor University, there on the mission field, this is what we're facing. But he's also saying something far more important than just what Chris is hearing. And by the way, Chris said, Papa, it changed my life. Changed my life forever. I'll never be the same, Papa. I never will be. And I, I'm watching God do beautiful things. It's going to be amazing to watch. But, but what he was actually saying, Betty, is that if we, that's what Peter's asking. He said, we can stop these children before they get to this malnutrition clinic where it's the last chance. We can get them in the villages where they are malnourished and we can begin to feed them. And they've located 400,000. And they basically have them organized, like you saw Chris and Jeannie Rogers sitting there feeding with the, with the bowls. 400,000 children now and their families. We've got them located and organized, and all we need to do is give them the food. And when I say we, who does that? We do. All of us, that's you. Not me and Betty, not Life Outreach. But through Life Today and through Life Outreach, all of us, the great we, the family of God, we're able to feed those children. And we're able to give them a chance. And all those malnutrition clinics... They were founded by love. 
And we've given hundreds of trucks over the years, worn out hundreds of them. Right now, they've just told us we have to have, in order to meet the need, we've got to have eight more 10-ton trucks. Maybe that's over $300,000. That's in addition to the 30, 50, or $100 to feed three, five, or 10 children for the next several months. We've got to get the trucks. So we're looking at a tremendous need right now for someone to reach out, like Peter said, would you just help us feed them before they ever get here? Would you help us feed them where we located them, in their villages, in the areas of desperate need? Will you do it? The telephone number there, lifetoday.org, that phone number, you contact us on Life Today, you call that number, you take your bank card and please say, here's what God's leading me to give. Remember this, $100 feeds 10 children for the next months. 50 will feed five, 30 will feed three. There's a level at which you can participate. I think there are many of you who could give $1,000 or more or whatever you can to help us get those trucks and to get another more than 70,000 bowls for the children. Would you please right now respond as God directs? Would you be a response to Peter Pretorius's plea in behalf of those children? Please do it. Use your bank card like a check. That's how you should always use it. Thank you so much for doing it. And as you respond, please, as you give, as you call, pray someone else will join you. Pray many will. And let's put arms of love around those precious children and give them hope. Thank you for doing it. Disease, malnutrition, starvation, all terrible human atrocities being faced every day by people living in remote and impoverished areas of Africa and those at greatest risk are the children. Life's Mission Feeding Program is there, able to feed and care for over 400,000 children in crisis areas of Angola, Mozambique, and Sudan. With previous food reserves gone and malnutrition levels in Angola rising due to increased food scarcity, we desperately need to replenish our supplies for our feeding programs immediately. Your life-saving gift of 30, 50, or $100 will help feed and care for three, five, or 10 children for the next three months. Also, please consider an additional gift toward our $316,000 goal to provide eight all-wheel drive trucks and 76,000 new bowls for the children. As our thank you, we'll send you this soft-covered journal Bible featuring the Gospels, Psalms, and Proverbs for your devotional time in the Word. With your gift of $100 or more to help feed 10 children, please request the complete Holy Bible Journal Edition, perfect for keeping notes and insights as you read and study. And finally, with your gift of $1,000 or more to help feed 100 children, you may request this beautifully framed canvas print of The Forest Chapel by Thomas Kincaid. Please call, write, or make your gift online today. Well, Betty and I say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your help. By the way, pray if you respond, others will also. And those, uh, those trucks, those 10-ton trucks, eight of them, over $300,000 in the bowls, we need an outpouring of love because we've got the 400,000 children that we've located. Try to keep them out of those places where they're basically the last chance they've got to live, sometimes even another day or two. Thank you for your help. We want to send you the incredible Bible and the journal. And if you'd like to have the Thomas Kincaid Forest Chapel, send you that. Just to say thank you. Just to say we love you. I want to bless you because you've blessed someone else. 
Thank you so much. Tell your friends about Wednesdays in the Word. Tell them to listen to Beth next week. Thank all of you for being here. Tomorrow, Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Laura Story shares what life is like as her husband deals with the effects of a brain tumor. Life Today is made possible by the supporters of Life Outreach International. Your gift will be used exclusively for the exempt purposes of life. The ministry features specific outreaches as examples of the programs it supports and conducts. Gifts are considered to be without restriction as to use unless explicitly stipulated by the donor. The ministry is a member of the ECFA.